Okay, we're good. All right, Paul, here we are. <laughs> we're doing this. I was saying, you know, the real reason that we decided to do a joint service here in the building, if we had gone to our own service, we would have had to prepare our own sermons. That's right. So we could have done a preached service. That's, well, I would, yeah, preaching on unity together separately. Yeah. The alternative. So here we are together. Yeah, I, I'm excited to be here. I love the idea of of church unity and churches working together. And I mean, we've had long conversations about that through youth, through our friendship together. I, I wonder, Paul, if you'd be willing to share experiences of, of what does where have you seen churches working together, unity among the capital C church yeah. really shine? Yeah, and this is a story of unity. of a church uh, that went through a difficult time. And we, uh, as a form of healing, we embarked on 100 days of prayer. And just what a unifying experience that was as we uh, gathered together in various ways, over 100 days to pray together. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. I love that. For me, I think, yeah, I, I grew up like, I call myself like a, a patchwork quilt of Christianity in different denominations. But I think... Going to Bible college, and though it was a school based in a particular denomination and tradition, there were students there from all over the broad spectrum of Christianity. And to be able to get to know brothers and sisters, people who were pursuing ministry and wanted to know Jesus more, you know, we would gather together twice a week to worship in chapel. And, you know, there would be one time in a chapel service where we would do communion this way or I'm going to switch to Lois. Check one, two. Sorry, Lois. I'm taking over. Yeah, Bible college, we saw all kinds of different people from denominations worshiping together. And, and that was always a testament to me of, like, we, we agree on the core things. We want to pursue Jesus. We want to see lives changed. And, yeah. and that was it for me. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So one of our readings this morning, uh, you'll have it in your handout, is from Psalm 133. So if you've ever heard a sermon on the, the topic of unity, you're probably familiar with this psalm. But let me just read it to you. Just a few verses. Psalm 133, a song of a sense of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Two things, uh, first two things we notice about this psalm. The first is, is that it's a psalm of ascent, meaning that it is a psalm that, or a psalm we could imagine that pilgrims would have sung together as they were traveling up to Jerusalem for festival. And as, a, as the people of the nation of Israel traveling together as pilgrims to Jerusalem, they would have been very aware of their own history, of their own fragility as a nation, of the threat of other nations, and they would have been recognized that their survival was dependent upon their unity. And you think about it as us, us as a church, as, as a church, um, 
we are, again, we're thinking globally as a church, under threat in so many ways, whether it be uh, thoughts about it here in the West, but particularly in other parts of the world, um, the church is under threat, and the church needs to be united for its own survival. So it's a song of ascent. It's a song. Unity is critical for survival. The other thing we notice in the first verse is that um, now the NIV doesn't show it as much as other translations, but the reference here is, is to family. It's like a family that is traveling together. And we know that uh, one of the ways that we understand the church is that the church is a family. And a, and a literal family. It's not a metaphor. But we literally have and share together the same Father, God, Jesus as our big brother, and us as brothers and sisters. And so family is critical for us to, it's critical for, it's important for us to think of one another as family. Now, of course, this psalm has some other strange Yeah, there's weird in stuff here. in it, too. Yeah, so funny. I'm going to move that to you, Tyler. Okay, I get to talk about dripping it. oil and yes. the dew of Hermon, yes, which is great. <laughs> so what this psalm is talking about, where it says the, the oil being poured out on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard. This is referring to what was done to priests in the Old Testament to set them apart. As, as God's chosen workers in the temple or in the tabernacle. And, and the idea of pouring oil on someone's head it isn't normal for us. But in, in the scriptures, it was a way, the oil itself was a way of demonstrating, like, this is God's presence, this is God's blessing, this is, this is uh, God making himself known and setting apart what is being anointed by this oil for his use. And what I love about this image is it's not just, hey, we're going to put a little bit of oil on Aaron, the high priest's head, but it is this image of it being poured out, this picture of abundance, this picture of the blessing isn't just let's anoint this guy, but it's overflowing and it is abounding and it's dripping down from his head to his beard onto his robe. And if we're going to get a little Bible geeky, if you'll follow me a little bit the high priest used to wear this robe that had the 12 tribes of Israel symbolized on what they wore. And one way of reading this is to say that this blessing, this anointing, wasn't just for the priests, but it would pour down onto all of Israel symbolically by it pouring down onto his robe. Here's where I think this is beautiful for us. The main symbol that is used when talking about the Holy Spirit on the church in the New Testament is this image of anointing. That just as the priests were anointed with oil in the Old Testament, we as followers of Jesus, we are anointed with the presence of God. We are set apart in abundance by the Holy Spirit. And there's this beautiful picture of unity here where, listen, we're together here from two separate churches, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you are filled with the same spirit that I am. And this, the spirit, the presence of God, the anointing of God is here in abundance as God's people are together. Second thing, the dew of Hermon. This, this is super obscure if we're, you know, just looking at it at face value. But what it's talking about is there was this mountain, there still is, this mountain, kind of in the northern part of Israel, right on the border of Lebanon, called Mount Hermon. And this is like 200 miles away from Jerusalem. But it... It had streams that that's what watered the area around it. That's where their crops were irrigated. 
All the precipitation that came off this huge mountain is how God provided for the agriculture in the area. What the psalmist saying is the unity that is desired among God's people is like God taking the blessing that Mount Hermon is to water the crops in the north as if that same blessing and God's provision is provided for Mount Zion, for Jerusalem in the south. That God is using what might sometimes be seen as separate as like he's blessing them by bringing them together. And this is particularly profound later in Israel's history as the north and the south divided. If you, re you remember the story of, of Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Imagine reading this psalm about unity among God's people, where the mountain in the north that defines the geography and the city of God in the south are seen as like God blessing them by bringing these 200 mile apart places together. And so there's this picture of unity being God's presence in abundance and unity of God blessing one another through what he provides for each of us. That there's something that we bring to the table that can benefit one another. And so dwelling in unity is a good thing. So this morning as we're talking about unity, we want to we highlight the fact that Christian unity is, this is an ideal that we're journeying towards, something that is important, something that is an answer to Jesus' prayer for the church. We'll get to that later. It matters. And it's a hard thing to do, but we need to practice it. And so we have three ways where we're going to be talking about that this morning. Yeah. Yeah, so the first way is just think about what, why does unity matter? And I think the first thing we can understand that unity matters is because when we worship together, when we pray together as the, as the big church, is it builds this sense of anticipation. Thinking again about that story that I shared of the 100 days of prayer, as the church was gathering together over those 100 days, we were broken into groups of three, and we were meeting together in the same building in our small groups every week, praying together. And as we went along, this sense of anticipation that God was going to do something grew. And I think as we continue to, to practice unity as churches, it builds this sense of anticipation that God is going to do something through this experience, that God honors this and blesses it and is going to do something as a result. So this anticipation is important. It's also important to remember that we're all part of one story. We're all part of the same story, that God is doing a work of redemption in the world and um, he's not doing a different story in your church than he's doing my church. It might play out in different ways, but it's all one big story that God is writing, and we're all parts of it. Um, you know, the, the divided nation that you were talking about in Israel, uh, the, the north and the south, um, it's be like those two nations were writing two separate stories, but that's not how it is, right? God is writing one story. We're all actors in that same story. We're all part of the same story. So if that's the case, then we need to be on the same page together since it is one story. And I think one of the, the beautiful things about that is us participating in the same story, and sometimes it gets played out differently. It looks different. Like mm -hmm. the way that you guys do things here on Sunday morning might be a little bit different than right. how we do things on yeah. Sunday morning. Or, you know, the different branches and denominations of the church. And, and sometimes I think there are there are ways where we have siloed ourselves into this is how we Baptists do it, as opposed to the Presbyterians or the Pentecostals or the Christian church or whatever. 
when I think there's a lot that we can learn from the traditions that have developed in each other's denominations or traditions of the church that can benefit us. Mm -hmm. Where an, an example for me is, I think there is a lot that uh, we as Baptists could probably learn from uh, some of the ways that, that Pentecostals lean into engaging with the Holy Spirit, where sometimes we're just so afraid of like some of the extremes that we're like, the Holy Spirit actually doesn't matter, where we can actually learn from that. Or there are some of the like contemplative or prayer traditions out of the, the Catholic Church that even though there are some areas of theology we would disagree about, that there are, there's a rich well that we can draw from, that we can actually benefit from learning from other traditions within Christianity. There's also a, a huge importance in, in unity for us as the church where whether we are unified or, or whether we have division, it communicates something to the world around us. Hmm. Uh, if, if you're a cornerstone, you hear me tally up the fact that we have 14 churches in Montague on a regular basis. Our two churches have shared history way, way back when right. they were started. Before us. Before, Before us. us. Yeah. <laughs> Even my <time>. and, <laughs> and And there is a story that is told yeah. to our community in the fact that we have churches that continue to divide and, and split off from one another, and the fact that there are, you drive down Main Street and you can start counting. You can ask Google how many churches there are in Montague, and it'll bring you up a list. Whether we are unified or disunified communicates something to the people around us. I don't know if you've talked to people in your workplace that are like, yeah, but why are there so many churches? Why can't you guys all just get along? Mm -hmm. Like, why is there so much division? And I think we have kind of set that as the, the precedent of what people expect is just division and disagreement among Christians in our community. And that's what people think of when they think of all of the church buildings that they see when they drive down Main Street. But our unity can also be a witness. Mm -hmm. Our unity is meant to be a witness. That the God that we believe in, the Savior who has redeemed us, is the same Savior. The gospel we believe is the same gospel. And Jesus speaks to this specifically in his prayer in John chapter 17. You have this on your handout if you want to follow along. Where he's praying for his disciples before he's arrested and he's crucified. And part of that prayer is amazing. He's not just praying for his disciples. There's a part that we're going to read where he actually shifts it and he says, I'm praying for those who are going to believe through the testimony of my disciples. He's talking about us. He's talking about those who would believe generations later, later on. He's talking about us. And in John 17, 20 to 23, he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be what? One. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity that the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Mm 
What hits me in this is Jesus repeats twice that the world will know who I am, what I have done through the unity of those who would believe through the apostles. That the unity of the church says something to the world around us. If we can't get along, if we can't get over differences, if we can't reconcile, that's a witness to our community mm. in a way that we don't want to be a witness. Mm. But what we can stand together in unity around Jesus, around wanting to see our community experience the renewal and transformation with the gospel, that is a tremendous witness to our community. Mm. But why? Yeah, and it's not that we're supposed to be like, we're all just gonna collapse our buildings and become one church on Sunday, but it's more how do we live in unity together? 100%. And that's, and that's probably harder work to do. Why is it so hard? Critical. Yeah, well that's good. <laughs> why is it so hard? Well, I think one of the reasons it's hard is because we've decided that we're gonna determine or define agreement by the non-essentials instead of essentials. So we've decided this is what matters when it's not necessarily essential. Some people will say, you, you break up doctrine into three categories. What is essential, what is important, and what is personal? And perhaps we've decided that what is personal and what is important takes precedent over what's essential. And we're just, what's essential, we'll get to that in a minute, but one of, the, um, one of the things that has divided the church and Christianity Today is actually doing a webinar in a couple of weeks, um, bringing together uh, six women, three who would have a complementarian view and three who would have an egalitarian view, meaning a complementarian view would say that women are serving certain offices in the church but not in others. An egalitarian view would say that women are able to serve in all areas of the church. So that is a very, very important subject. I'm saying that as a man, and imagine as a woman, you would say, yes, absolutely, it's a critical conversation to have. But it is not, um, it doesn't determine salvation. Uh, so it is not essential, it's very important. Um, so that's why I think this is a great thing that they're having that conversation. But if we've decided that we cannot, and, and they're bringing people together uh, from these two camps, but if we decided that we just cannot associate with people who hold a different view on the role of women, then we're making what is non-essential, we're making it essential. And we can't do that. We need to say, here is what is essential. And scripture gives us what is essential. That other, you know, I think we've got three passages on your bulletin. So the third of the ones that we're looking at is the Apostle Paul gives us that. He says, what is essential is that we have one body, we are one spirit, we have one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all. I'm just going to have to let those words speak for themselves. We don't have time to unpack each unpack of them. That would be great if we did, but we don't. So, but just that's, that's a creed. That's a powerful creed. One, one, one. Um, yeah. And it would be maybe easier if all of the division was only ever based on theological conversations. Mm -hmm. And then we could just talk through it and argue and agree to disagree. Right. But often a lot of division is because of conflict. Past, present, the things that have lingered in our collective memories a lot longer maybe than they should have. Where something that happened maybe 200 years ago between right. our two churches 
or something that is happening in a personal relationship with someone in our church or at a different church, those things, I would maybe argue, tend to be what divide even more sometimes than mm. our uh, disagreements about theology. Right. right. And we need to remind ourselves that we are meant to be ministers of reconciliation. That that is part of what we are called to be as followers of Jesus. Those who have been reconciled to God are called to reconcile with one another. I don't want to get into your part of the sermon too much. <laughs> but it's hard because it's easier to leave and it's easier to avoid people. So we have to avoid avoidance? We need to avoid avoidance. If you're taking notes, let's go. So what do we mean by that? Well, I think one of the practically, how do you avoid avoidance is you look for ways to be together. Yeah, we're not going to be together every Sunday morning with every single church. We are going to worship in our own ways, and our own practices. Um, but look for ways that you can be together, that we can be together. So this is obviously an example of that. The fact that we are running youth ministry together is an example of that. It's a very practical reason that we're doing that, but it's also um, a beautiful picture of unity as well. It's a witness. It's a witness. Yeah, exactly. So today is Christmas, Easter. I know historically the churches have done stuff together during these high points in the, in the, in the church year. And we should maybe think about that again. And these are, again, great ways and good times that we can avoid avoidance and look for ways intentionally to be together. Yeah, and I think one of the ways that sometimes we avoid people or, or kind of stay away from them is we just label them and say, we don't have anything to do with this group. So we're like, oh, well, they're the Baptists. And so I have something in my mind of what Baptist means and I don't want any of that. Or they're Presbyterians or the Pentecostals or the Roman Catholic or whatever. And we, we slap a label on and we just like write off an entire group of people rather than trying to comprehend who they are or what they are, who, who, what their story actually is. And so, you know, some of us have ideas about different denominations in our town and we won't even approach a conversation about what does unity look like among the body with such and such a group because we already have our label created and it's a pretty firm one. Right, and you're probably thinking that I should be preaching to myself on this avoid avoidance. When I arrived here two years ago, Tyler sent me an email inviting me for coffee to an email address that I didn't have the password for, for about two weeks. <laughs> Tyler's thinking, I guess he doesn't want anything to do with me. <laughs> I felt bad when I saw that email. Obviously, we got together for coffee. <laughs> Take a look at this now. I was not trying to avoid you that morning. That, that was first two weeks. The other thing that we can do is, uh, in terms of unities, is practice this idea of believing the best of one another, rather than obviously believing the worst of one another. Think about um, COVID and the way that there are, you know, churches basically divided into two camps. Those who were following public health protocols and those who were saying, uh-uh, we're not going to do that. I came from a church at that time that followed public health protocols and it annoyed me and made me angry that when I saw churches that were breaking those, you know, that were breaking the law, as I would have seen it, they're putting people at risk. Um, it was helpful for me to, to understand that even in those cases, they were focusing on, you know, as they argued, that we were focusing on the, the mental and spiritual well-being of our congregation. We needed to be together 
for our spiritual well-being, for our, our, the mental health of our people. I may not have agreed. I would have thought there's still ways to care for each other. But it's helpful to believe the best. Not that they're out there trying to hurt the community, but they're, this is their way. Um, those who practice differently than I do, this is their way of caring for their people. Right, because it would be so easy to say, oh, well, that's the anti-vaxxer church, and right. these right. are the sheeple church that are <laughs> love Justin Trudeau and yes. all yeah. of that kind of right, stuff. Right, right, yeah. You, you can polarize one another, right? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but those labels are too easy. Yeah, exactly. Those labels are too easy to say, this is that church, and this is that church, or this is that person, or this is that person, because it diminishes people to a label. And it's not taking the full person seriously. And I think in our conversations of unity, we need to remove labels and we need to look at people. We need to stop saying, oh, this is this church and this is what they do. And so we want nothing to do with them. No, we need to get to know people. And we as human beings were created in the image of God. There is a sacredness to who we are based on how God created us and the image of God can't be reduced to a label. The Savior who came in the flesh and died on the cross for my sin and your sin died for the whole person. And that can't be reduced to a label. And so when I see people that I disagree with or I see people that I might have conflict with, I can't dismiss them as, oh, they are just the person who did this. Or they're just the person that believes this. Or they, their church has this weird thing that they do, and I don't like that. They are a human being created in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of Christ through their faith in Him. And, and I can't reduce that. I can't diminish that. And if I do that, I am, I am trying to kind of redefine who God has called them to be in a way that I am not empowered to. Christ died for the whole person. The last thing that, that I would say about how we can uh, believe the best about one another, especially when it's difficult, when there's conflict, especially when there's not been opportunity to um, resolve that conflict in the way that we've wanted to. And, and there's all kinds of areas of gray in the messiness of life that we find ourselves in. And, and, and I would say that sometimes we we dismiss the idea of unity because it's not as clean cut and perfect as we would like. It is messy. There are difficulties that come with it. But I, I read a book a few years ago by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a German theologian and pastor during the Third Reich in Germany. He helped lead a movement of the church that broke away from the Nazi-influenced uh, Lutheran church at the time, and they started their own underground seminaries that were illegal. And they got together, you know, ordinance who were studying to become pastors, and they lived together in the seminary, and it was a difficult time. You talk about like COVID being a time where our anxiety and like the trauma of what's going on is affecting everybody. Imagine doing that through the Third Reich and living together as you're studying for ministry. And he wrote this book called Life Together based on his experience running the seminary. And one of the things that I love that he said in that book is he said, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray. No matter how much trouble he causes me. 
And I wonder if that is a, an easy thing for us to be able to take home. Not easy as in it's going to be easy for us to do, but it's something that we can latch on to and say, I can make that happen. It's for the ones that we hold conflict with, the ones that we are tempted to avoid, the ones that I don't want to believe the best about. When I start praying for them and praying for God's best for them, it's going to be harder for me to harbor hate in my heart towards them. Jesus died to redeem the full person. The blood of the crucified Messiah on the cross should be one of the most unifying things in the universe. And this morning we have this beautiful opportunity to gather together to celebrate the fact that Christ's body was broken and blood was shed, that we could be one people through him. So I'm going to invite Matt Poole to come forward. He's one of our elders at Cornerstone, and he is going to lead us uh, in the Lord's table.